podcast is to bring you the best tips and techniques from some of the best minds in the New Age sector. This is a place that explores philosophies behind things like meditation, the law of attraction, power of creation, universal laws, energy healing, EFT, chakras, yoga, and so much more. Join me each month as I open up the conversation and hopefully help you on your journey to enlightenment. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Zen Chakra. I'm your host, Amanda, and today's guest is Lori Jacobs, a naturopath, herbalist, and energy healer. She is a charter member of Northeastern Pennsylvania Holistic Chamber of Commerce, a member of the Holistic Practitioners Healing Arts Network, as well as Circle of Healers, Holistic Network, Best American Healers, and many more. Interestingly enough, it was Lori's daughter that led her to the path of her calling as a healer. In 1995, her daughter became very ill and was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr syndrome. Every doctor told Lori that it was her daughter's immune system and that all they could do was recommend more rest. But realizing that her daughter slept every waking hour other than the time that she was in school, Lori decided to take matters into her own hands and followed her instincts. Remembering that her grandmother had taught her many things about herbs, Lori concentrated on herbs that strengthened her immune system, making an herbal tincture she liked to call endocrine strengthener. Within a month's time, her daughter was back to normal. Lori decided to start taking the endocrine strengthener herself in hopes to rid of the many colds that she kept catching. To her amazement, not only did she rid off the colds, but after suffering from alopecia totalis for 11 years, suddenly she found her hair was growing again. In 2002, Lori started The Healing Path, a place where she offers herbal therapies, handcrafted formulas, energy healing, and also helps wean clients off of unnecessary pharmaceuticals and antidepressants. Over the years, Endocrine Strengthener has been beneficial for those suffering from lupus, MS, and Crohn's disease. Since then, Lori has developed many other safe and highly effective tinctures to aid arthritis, migraines, cholesterol, diabetes, urinary tract infections, and much more. Join me as I sit down today with Lori to discuss different types of healing tinctures, preventatives, and common diseases that can be healed without traditional medications. Well, Lori, thank you for coming on to the show today. We had a little bit of uh, technical difficulty, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for being patient. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, It's amazing how frustrated we can get when technology doesn't work anymore. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, you've been doing this work for 12 years, uh, but what was it like seeing your daughter get better in just a few short weeks and seeing a change in your own life when you added holistic medicine to your regimen? Well, of course, as any mother would uh, attest to, there's nothing is scarier than when your child is sick. And uh, my daughter at the time was in uh, her senior year of high school. It was about 1995. She had had mono the previous year and then came down with Epstein-Barr. Well, in, Ep- in 1995, Epstein-Barr was not 
really popular. They did, and it was called the yuppie disease, and it was doubtful as to whether it really existed or not. But I did take her to a very good doctor, and he did uh, concur that it was Epstein-Barr. So <clears throat> when I said, okay, we finally have a diagnosis, it wasn't leukemia like we thought it was earlier. That's how sick she was. So I said, what do we do? And he tells me, well, it's her immune system, so she needs to just take it easy, rest when she can, eat right, and hopefully it'll get better. So when he said that, I thought they'd be peeling my brains off the ceiling because that's what they had been telling me for 11 years. I, I had had a condition called alopecia totalis, which is an autoimmune disease in which your immune system attacks your hair follicles, and it gives you a very lovely side effect of being totally bald. Perfect uh, for every woman. Yes, right. <laughs> So, um, but all kidding aside, I was only bald and it was attacking my thyroid gland too, so I had gained weight, but my daughter was very, very sick. And I thought, oh my goodness, it hasn't helped me in 12 years, that advice. So what am I going to do for her? And that's when I had really reached the end of my rope as far as the allopathic community goes, uh, the doctor-directed medicine. And I started remembering these little gems that my grandmother taught me when I was younger about plants and herbs. And uh, she was a, a Norwegian immigrant. So, of course, that was their medicine. Uh, there was nothing before that. There were doctors, but you only went there when you were dying or, you know, or close to dying. Uh, as it were, I did put together a... Uh, herbal tincture called endocrine strengthener. That's what I called it because I studied everything about the endocrine system and the immune system and the herbs that would benefit that. So, of course, when Autumn, my daughter, started taking it, she did feel a little better quite soon, but after six weeks, she was fine. And she still has a compromised immune system and she has to be careful. Uh, but that really did the trick for her. And I can't blame the medical community because this doctor did everything he could, but it was just, they didn't have the tools for it. Sure. So what did that experience really teach you? I mean, to it, I think that we have gotten, and it, it could be pharmaceutical driven the way our society is today, but we have really come to trust what that professional doctor tells us and we rely on their information that they give us as being the ultimate answer that that's as good as it's going to get. It's the final word. It taught me something that, that's very profound that I guess I should have always known. That you go to a doctor when you have a broken arm or a broken leg. or at, And I got to say, my husband uh, in 2008 had a serious motorcycle accident in which he was in St. Luke's Hospital for three and a half weeks in the trauma center. He was that bad. And they saved his life. That's what you go to doctors and hospitals for. If you need a surgery or something, yes. But for chronic conditions, we're better off treating them with herbs that you can take continually without the negative side effects that you see from the chemical pharmaceuticals. 
Hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a, a huge revolution going on right now. So many people are trying to get back to basics, you know, taking a holistic approach to daily physical ailments. And it's amazing to me how many things have become so common that didn't used to be common. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that uh, we've got more disease? It seems like more disease than we've ever had. And people are starting to finally see and reject traditional medicine. Well, <laughs> I always laugh because I say, do we have amnesia? Every time I hear on the TV, you know, it's a lawyer saying, if your loved one has taken this drug or that drug, uh, there's a class action lawsuit, you know, if you've been, if you know someone or, and it's like every time a drug comes out, it's the greatest thing in the world. And then three years later, we're hearing uh, lawyers on TV <laughs> trying right. to to sue the company because people have been seriously injured by pharmaceuticals. So the problem with that is there's a lot of money behind pharmaceuticals. And it's hard to fight a lot of money even if it's if it's a lawsuit, they've got way more money than we have to fight it. But I think little by little people are starting to understand that putting all these chemicals in our body isn't helping. If they didn't think of that on their own, they think of it after they've been taking drugs for a certain amount of time because they may seem to have a quick help in the beginning, but as time wears on, they become toxic to us and we end up just feeling awful. So perhaps that's the reason people are waking up. I think um, probably the New Age uh, movement has really given us more of a holistic look on our lives which has helped us. I'm not sure of the reason. I'm sure everybody has their own reason, but you're right. Little by little people are 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 waking up to the old ways, if you will. Which is really quite silly because it's only been in the last century that we've really relied so much on big business. I mean, I agree with you that pharmaceuticals are big business and that is why they are pushing the drugs so much and so many things are intertwined and supported by that big business but it's so strange to me that it's only been even the last 50 years that drugs have become so popular and it's so widely accepted that synthetic is better when in actuality what we've been doing for the last 2000 years is ultimately better for us well yes and and there's there's a reason for that. At the turn of the 20th century, the early 1900s, herbalism and allopathic medicine, what they called at the time heroic medicine, was almost 50-50. Neither one had a, a step ahead of the other. But then there was, uh, the history is really interesting. I'll just give you a quick rundown. But the uh, Carnegie Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation, they started funding giving the universities that taught allopathic medicine funding so when you when a university gets a million dollars back then they're going to take off it was just it so that became more and more and then by the time the 40s came around i don't know if you ever heard of a harry hoxie no i haven't well he's actually the one 
he probably, because of him, everything that he went through, the word hoax came from. Yeah. He was uh, he, he was hunted down and shut done out of business by the American Medical Association. He was actually curing cancer. He had 40 clinics around the United States with an amazing cure rate of cancer with herbs. Sounds like uh, the Gerson theory. Yeah, yes. Um, and... Right, his is his is raw food, which same thing. So you're getting a lot of herbs and everything in it. So um, anyway, every doctor who has so-called bucked the system has paid dearly for it, monetarily, uh, professionally. So it, it's tough, and it, it's a fine line that even I, as an herbalist, walk. So it's. Um, yeah, it's a tough thing to see happen, but like you said, people are starting to wake up, and it seems like I'm signing a petition every day to keep our our uh, medical and food rights. <laughs> so. It's amazing. Well, one of the things that I found interesting is, I did not know this, tell us what the difference is between herbal and homeopathic. Okay. Herbal is more like a when when somebody takes an herbal medicine it's like a food their herbs can be very high in in micro minerals and and things that we don't get from processed foods so the herbal medicine is basically nourishing your body in this in in the micro and and of what they call phyto uh nutrients which are we don't even know what they all are now. We know like vitamin A, B, C, D, those are the macronutrients. But the, the micronutrients like phytonutrients, phyto means plant. These are the uh, nutrients that you get from a plant. And when a plant processes minerals, then our body can utilize them. So basically herbal medicine nourishes our body in ways that we don't even know we need because we don't know as much about nutrition as we think we do. Now, homeopathy is very interesting, on the other hand, where it's a, it's a lot like when you have allergies. Uh, if something you're allergic to, let's say you're allergic to goldenrod, a homeopath will take goldenrod and make a tincture, but keep diluting it, diluting it, diluting it, diluting it, until you reach a point where you can tolerate it. Then that small little bit of irritant being introduced into your body is enough for your immune system to start to build up and, and, and become immune to. I find that fascinating. I, I never knew that, so I'm really glad that I had the chance to talk to you about that. How do herbal tinctures and salves intertwine with our energy systems? How do they affect them? Well, yeah, it does kind of go back to, of course, when they help you physically, your energy goes up. But then there's the other aspect, because plants do have an energy of their own, and I am an energy healer as well. It works the other way, too. So it becomes a self-perpetuating cyclical energy system. So I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, let me try and say it another way. Let's think about putting the herbs into our body. And we get the, the nutrients and the energy 
and it provides our immune system what it needs rather than trying to override it and force it to do something it doesn't need to do. So it helps us that way by ingesting it. Ingesting it, our bodies make energy, and the energy goes outward. Well, it certainly is doing something because you were probably taking some type of synthetic or doing something for 11 years, and the simple act of taking your uh, endocrine strengthener completely changed your life in just a matter of months versus 11 years. It did, and I think it was because it just provided my immune system what it needed to fix itself because I, I'm enamored of the, of the human immune system and I wish there were more studies about the healthy immune system. Well, as I'm doing more research myself, I'm finding that because drugs are such big business, there are not a lot of uh, companies out there that are wanting to push a holistic type lifestyle because the, the drug companies will no longer make money. Sadly, that's very true. Very sad. So, I mean, I, I just find it interesting that our systems are so responsive to things like holistic tinctures as opposed to synthetics. I think that synthetics definitely have their place. However, I find it fascinating that you take something for just a short amount of time and your daughter takes something for sh a short amount of time and it completely changes what the doctor said synthetics were able to do. So with so much proof out there that things like holistic and homeopathic medicines work, is it really that doctors are delusional and don't want to pay attention to it because of the drug companies? Or why, why do so many doctors poo-poo this industry? Well, I, I think they're indoctrinated that way. It's it's becomes a mindset. The worst thing a doctor can be called is a quack. Well, some of the best doctors in the world have been called quacks because they went against the grain. They had the audacity to question allopathic medicine's ability to cure everything. Uh, or they chose a more naturalistic way and actually did cure things. And that's a very dangerous thing for a doctor to do. So it, it's, it's tough because they, they pay for it dearly. So I don't think, and they're not all that way. I'll tell you, my doctor is wonderful. He will not give a flu shot. He treats everything he can uh, with, with naturally. He knows, he actually sends people to me when they have autoimmune diseases because he says, you can help them, I can't. And you won't find too many doctors that are that open. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, it's worth looking for. And I've said to my clients, you know, if you're, if you're going to your doctor and he's not, he or she is not listening to you, uh, find another doctor. Because that's, that's the most important thing between you and your doctor. You have to have communication. You have to be able to say to your doctor, look, doc, you know, this drug wasn't helping me, so I started taking some echinacea or I added kelp to my diet and not have him say, oh, you've got to get off of that because it might mix badly with some other pharmaceuticals that I'm giving you. You know, you need to find a doctor that you can have a rapport with. Yeah, I agree. Tell us a little bit about um, when I was doing research on your website, I was fascinated by 
which we've been talking about, doctors who are not necessarily, he's not really called a quack, but doctors who are standing up for their beliefs and fighting against the politics of greed in corporate America. Uh, Dr. Wakefield, tell us more about him. Uh, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, that poor man <laughs> was so vilified. Um, he, in the early 80s, I think late 70s, early 80s, he's a gastroenterologist. And he started realizing that some of his patients that were children, the parents had these deep suspicions that they started getting very sick, throwing up, uh, diarrhea, stomach pains, and then they become autistic. And this happened after their uh, MMR shots, the measles, mumps, rubella. Well, he did a lot of his, of his own research and discovered through a great cost of his own because he wasn't being funded that he, it all went back to the measles, mumps, rubella shot. When they just gave the measles shot alone, when it, there was none of these the uh, subculture of the of the children that were vaccinated that had these horrific reactions. So when he fought, when his when he published his paper in the Lancet, he had in a little caveat at the end. He said that well, it, it's possible that we should go back to the single measles vaccine and the single mumps and the single rubella. Well, then somebody caught on in the press, and then. That went big, and a lot of parents were asking, I, I just want the single vaccine. I don't want the MMR. Well, when that started hitting the pocketbooks of the people that were making the vaccines, um, he hit a roadblock, and he took a lot of criticism uh, as far as even being called, you know, that he, he said, they said that he was paying his patients to say this, and it was just, it was ridiculous. But he's got so much behind him now, you just cannot deny the proof that he has. And uh, he's coming out on top again, but he did, uh, it was about two years ago, he took this brutal interview from Anderson Cooper, who wouldn't listen to a word he said, and just talked over him and called him, you know, the worst thing you could call a doctor. Which CNN is funded by big pharmaceutical companies, I might add. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. So, um, but this is what doctors that are true to their beliefs face. It's, and isn't that sad? I mean, same thing with Gerson. It's like when they have, they take their knowledge and they actually research what they're taught and not just regurgitate it, but actually research it. They are scrutinized for that. And it's such a shame. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I wish there was a better way for us, but we just have, what we have to do is once everybody's mindset starts to change, we're, uh, hopefully the shift will come. And uh, so in, until that point, the doctors do take their, um, their practice in their hands, so to speak. Yeah, and that, that would be my next question is how with this fear of not really being able to step outside of the cattle and and kind of being almost like a, a the drug companies being a puppet master guiding the doctors uh in, in how they can run their practices how do we get more practitioners like Dr. Wakefield 
on board with what you do and more in sync with what you do. I think it's fantastic that your doctor actually refers patients to you. What a beautiful marriage between two different practitioners. But how do we get more on board without the fear that they're going to be scrutinized? Um, I don't know that we do. I think it's some, a very personal thing that a doctor has to decide for himself. Either he goes with what he knows is right or feels is right, or he continues to tell his patients, sell them a bill of goods that he doesn't believe in. And that's something that only an individual can do. And some doctors never reach that point, not because they don't care and they're just making money, but they just believe what, what they've been taught all their lives. And then other doctors start to begin to realize, look, at there's a lot of power behind chemotherapy, behind pharmaceuticals, vaccines, and it, it's pretty hard to budge that. But, but I think... Personally, I think that's something that each individual doctor has to choose for himself. Well, and I think if we can get the community as a whole, it's probably like uh, consumer demand, so to speak, to get more on people or more people on board to asking for that sort of thing. You're absolutely right. Yes, the more people that are the, the patients, the consumers, that start to believe in that way, yes, that will help stem the tide uh, toward the way we want to go, which is a more, we want to be able to go out in the yard and, and find an herb and use it. I'm an herbalist. I want to be able to sell herbs to people that don't know how to use it for themselves. And it's, it's a risky thing that I take too, because it's just the craziest thing. Uh, there's a book called Holistic Medicine, chaos in the marketplace. Oh, geez. And you just never know whether you're doing anything right or not. Um, I, I ship my herbs all over the world, and there are, there are actually places in the world you can't ship herbs because it's illegal. Interesting. Yeah. But so how awesome would that be if we can get a, to a point in our lives where we have, say, an herbalist like yourself that we can go to to remedy us of small ailments, obviously not broken limbs and motorcycle accidents, but right. <laughs> the ability to get back more to basics and rely on ourselves and maybe grow our own, you know, mint and oregano or whatever it is that we do to be able to rely a little bit more on ourselves and not rely so much on the doctor for the common cold or things like Epstein-Barr. Yes. And, and how nice would it be if I could practice with an allopathic doctor who could make diagnoses that I cannot make? Right. So, yeah, we just had here in, I'm based out of Nashville, and one of our local neurosurgeons, Dr. Cruz, he was actually going on a carnival cruise to do, he uh, has a belief in a, he has invented a new type of diet. It's kind of like a uh, low carb diet, but it, it's kind of a, a homeopathic way of eating. And there are a group of people that disagree with what he believes in and is calling him a quack. So they started a Twitter account 
and knew that he was going on this cruise and put up on this Twitter account that his suitcase was filled with bombs. <gasps> so he got pulled off the cruise line, was not allowed to step foot on the ship, could not get on the plane, and they detained him for 48 hours. Wow. He missed the opportunity to do the speech, and 300 people signed up to listen to him speak. All oh. because somebody did this and called him a quack. And now the FBI is questioning him and following him, and, and I don't think he's in any kind of trouble because they realize it's a bogus tweet, but... Isn't that amazing that the power of somebody else could, in yeah. one tweet, destroy this doctor's ability to speak on what he believes in? So who would have the most to lose if uh, <laughs> if his diet caught on? Uh, maybe the people, maybe Monsanto or somebody's making the GMO, because I'm sure he's probably not for the genetically modified food. Well, and it's the same thing with the Gerson theory with, you know, eating all fresh foods. And, I mean, could it really be that simple? Really? We could get rid of the obesity rate. And if we eliminate, well, think about it. If we eliminate processed foods, who we're putting out of business, there's a lot of people involved in processed foods. Yes. And then if we don't have, they said on the news this morning, that 30 million people are obese. And by the time we hit 2025, 20, I think they said it would almost be doubled. So if we don't have uh, a fat America, we don't have pharmaceutical companies that have a need to distribute drugs. Right. It's just so that big business, corporate America, can stay in business. Yeah. So, oh, you mean you mean corporate America doesn't have a conscience? <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me that. <laughs> so at what point of an illness is it time to look into alternatives? Uh for instance, with you, uh, if your daughter had not gotten sick and you hadn't developed your endocrine strengthener, do you think that you would still be living with your alopecia totalis? I probably would, yes. You're probably right about that because I had tried everything I could think of at the time, but, you know, for some reason, duh, I was not recalling what my grandmother said. But it's a funny thing how the universe has a way of, you know, giving you a little nudge, a shove. A, a shout. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in my case, I guess I, I waited till the uh, anvil over the head, you know. <laughs> but well, At um, least it worked eventually. Yeah. But the difference is, at that time, I used, I, I thought about going to the doctor the first thing when she was sick. When I was sick too, for the alopecia totalis, I did go to all the doctors and found out the same thing from everybody and then I just gave up on it and resigned myself to keeping it. But now, the difference between me then and me now, when there's an illness, the first thing I think of is, you know, what can I make? What kind of different tincture can I make? What herbs will help? How can I modify my diet to change? And the doctor is the last thing I think of. Which is the way that it should be. I mean, that's the way that it used to be. I think so. We've made it way too complicated. We've made it so complicated by by handing over our ability to heal ourselves. We wanted to take a pill. <laughs> well, think... and that's what we've gotten to with technology is that instant gratification. Yes. So, and as long as we were willing to do that, there were people out there willing to make money off of us. Hmm. 
And I'm not, I'm not saying that all drugs are bad. Don't, you know, not by any means, but they're not made for long term. If it's something that you're going to have to take for the rest of your life, I suggest you think of a natural way to do it. And there are natural ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So are there such things then as preventatives and holistic remedies? Are there things uh, that people can do? What, what, what are some of your suggestions as to common ailments that people have? Well, there's a lot of preventative. Uh, one of the things I always tell my clients there's a lot of things that we do in our daily life that we maybe don't realize how toxic they are. One is using nonstick cookware. I encourage them to throw it out by cast iron, by stainless steel. And that nonstick cookware was born out of that craziness in the 80s that, like, no fat was good. You couldn't eat any fat. So, oh, well, you got, if you're going to, you know, fry a piece of meat, you got to have fat in there. So, oh, nonstick cookware. And, well, the truth is, nonstick cookware kills birds. And what I can, does it do to us? Well, we don't. I I couldn't even start to tell you the amount of chemicals that leach into our food when when you cook with it. And if you overheat it, like if you say you do a stir fry and it gets hotter than just you know normal simmering, then the amount of chemicals that come out increases exponentially. I can tell you a quick little story. It's very sad. Uh, in, in 1987, I think it was, my daughter, she had a parakeet, and it was Christmas morning, and my, I had gotten a gift of a big, like, 16-inch nonstick fry pan, <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, well, let's cook breakfast in it. I cooked Christmas breakfast in it, went upstairs, her bird was dead. Oh, no. I didn't even make the connection for many years until I started I met someone who raised exotic birds. And I told him the story. I said, I'm so afraid to have a bird. What happened and everything? First thing she said, did you have nonstick cookware? I oh, said, no. Yes, I did. The first time I ever used a nonstick cookware. And, uh, but what I've learned since is that it's just, it's not safe. And this is something that most bird people know. But for some reason, the general population doesn't know it. So that's one thing. Another thing is never, of course, heat anything in plastic in a microwave. Uh, I don't think, I mean, I even use a microwave as little as possible. Sadly, I haven't completely stopped using it yet, but I never cook in it. I only use it to heat. Reheat, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing is lots, you know, lots of fresh water. Yeah, that's something that is has come up that I've started hearing a lot about is the fluoride and the yeah. amount of fluoride and chlorine that is in our tap water and how toxic it is to us, which we've been led to believe otherwise, that it's not. And I have never really drank tap water, but I have used it for coffee in the morning. So as I've learned more and more about the fluoride and chlorine content, Interestingly enough, my mother was just uh, here in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, and they are on well water, and she had, I think she had just taken a glass of water out of the tap, not really thinking much about it, and she said that she couldn't drink it because it was so chlorinated she could taste and smell it. Right. And she, you know, she would notice that because she's accustomed to well water, so I've started using the filter out of my fridge, but 
Tell us a little bit more about that. Why is why is chlorine and fluoride so bad for our systems? Well, fluoride, first off, they have relaxed the standards on fluoride so much that it could include up to 300 chemicals, and they call it fluoride. Fluoride itself is a byproduct of, of the fertile, of, of uh, I'm trying to think of the type of fertilizer, uh, potassium uh, fertilizer, but it, it, it's an, a synthetic fertilizer, which has the byproduct of fluoride. And this is what we're putting into our babies. We don't have a choice. It goes into city water and that's it. I'm lucky I have a well and I feel like, was it your mother-in-law? Your mother? My mom, yeah. Um, that I can't drink city water. I just can't because I haven't my whole life. And when I do, it's just, uh, yeah, it's undrinkable, I think. Yeah, she said she felt violated. And right, and sadly, <laughs> sadly, the the regular filters, the Brita filters, that uh, the ones that we can afford, don't take out chlorine and fluoride. Hmm. You have to go with a more sophisticated unit for that. So that really affects the people who are on the lower end of the pay scale more than anybody, because they don't have much of a choice. Not only that, when you're Taking a shower, it gets into your blood system that way because it goes in your skin and 40% of what goes on our skin ends up right in the blood system. So that's another thing that people maybe don't think about. That, uh, so yeah, then you have to go with like a, uh, you know, a more sophisticated unit like the, the ProPure and everything. I think ProPure makes a filter that will take out chlorine and fluoride that's just a gravity filter, which would probably be less expensive. Um, Is there some type of uh, herbal remedy of sorts that helps cleanse the body if people do not have the ability to put in a fancy new system in their home or just release the toxins that have maybe built up in our body? Oh, sure. You want... Anytime you want to cleanse the body, you want to help cleanse the liver because the liver is what cleanses your body. So you want to support the liver. So there are some herbs that are excellent for that. Gentian, like the same type of gentian that they used to make gentian violet back in the day. I don't know if you're, I'm showing my age mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I've heard <laughs> of it. And uh, dandelion root. Thistle, either blessed thistle or milk thistle, very good. Parsley root. Goldenrod, if you're not allergic to it. But yeah, those are all very good herbs to help cleanse the, the liver. And how often should somebody take something like that? Every day. Every day. <laughs> I mean, our, our uh, grandparents used to take the spring tonic, and they were always things like that that helped you know clean the liver because they'd live a whole winter on like salted meats and canned vegetables. And so that was their way of cleansing toward the end of the winter. But you, you figure we eat processed foods all the time. So I think you should live on them, the, the, the cleansing herbs. Yeah, so. I mean, even things that you don't think are processed are processed anymore. It's, it's amazing and, what they've done to our food system. And they're also good for, like, I, and for instance, I make a tincture called HEPA Health, which is, has all those herbs plus more. And... It was originally made for a woman who had hepatitis C. And so, but that has, it helps in so many ways. 
it also is the tincture that I use if someone has a urinary tract infection. So you don't have to take antibiotics for urinary tract infection. That tincture will clear you up just as quickly without offsetting the, the healthy bacteria in your intestines like what antibiotics do. So it's a safer way because you don't, you get to keep the healthy balance of your intestinal flora and you don't risk having a candida overgrowth, which is what happens when you take antibiotics. Yes. I want to back up just a little bit. I just realized that we keep using the word tincture and you and I know what that means and people in our audience may not have any clue or have ever heard of that. So tell us about the um, herbal remedies and tinctures that you make. What are they? Yeah, okay. A tincture, very simply, is an extract. It's the same thing. In other words, I could call vanilla extract, I could call it a vanilla tincture. When it's one thing, it's a simple tincture. When, it, when it's a blend, it, it, it's a blended tincture. So really that's all it is. It's, it's extracted. The, the medicinal properties of the herb are extracted from the herb in a medium of grain alcohol. So it would be like a 50, most grain alcohol, say vodka, is 50% water, 50% alcohol. So that is the perfect combination because the alcohol uh, brings out the oil-based properties in the herb and the water extracts the water-based properties. Another thing about it is that it preserves the properties so beautifully. You can keep a tincture for 10 years and as long as you keep it in a place that's not light, in a dark place, and it doesn't even have to be refrigerated, keep it away from the source of heat, it will lose very little of its potency over the 10 years. That's amazing. And what about a salve? Do you make any kind of salves? I do. I make an awesome, I call it yarrow ointment. And we have lovely yarrow that grows around here. And it, there's so many stories from my yarrow ointment. <laughs> that it, well, tell the audience first what a salve is. Okay. it's You would take an herb and you heat it in a fat. Now, you can either use, you can use pork lard, you can use coconut oil because that's solid when it's, when it's at room temperature. Coconut oil is solid. So in a very slow heat, in a cast iron pan, <laughs> you would take, melt the fat, add the herb that you want, and very, very slowly let it heat until the herb is just crisp. Pour off the fat and let it solidify. And I like to put it in the little jars and keep it in the refrigerator. Now, that is a wonderful way to heal cuts, scrapes, infections, um, burns. So that that is a salve or an ointment. So a salve is typically a thicker byproduct than a tincture, correct? It's it's not a tincture at all. Well, it's it's just a different form. In other words, there are modes of treatment. And now orally, you're going to be taking the ointment. A salve is meant to be used topically. 
Okay, there we go. Just wanted to clarify in case ever, anybody's listening, going, I don't understand what the difference is. Yeah, oh, it's 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 this it's in placement of a first aid cream type thing. Yeah. So, what are some suggestions that you can give our audience today that can help us improve our health to really keep our bodies and our energy systems happy? Just in general, what are some daily things that we can do to to make ourselves better? Here's something that you do if you feel a cold coming on. The first sign of a cold or the first chance you get after you say, oh, I'm getting a cold, whether it's the tickly nose, the sore throat, whatever your first symptoms are, buy a piece. Well, you should always have a piece of ginger root in your house. But if you don't, go to the grocery store, buy a ginger root. It costs you about three bucks. Cut it in very thin slices. Put it in a thermos and add boiling water to it. If you want it a little sweet, you can add a little stevia or something to it. Now, at the you start taking, sipping it by the, a quarter cupful every hour. And what that does, and I just call that a ginger tea. What that does is two things. The ginger helps support the immune system. The hot water and the constant sipping of it, getting it into your body, unplugs the lymphatic system. It helps the lymphatic system work better and, and extract all the toxins from your body. So I have never, ever had that fail me yet. If I feel I'm catching a cold, it's the first thing I do. And if I do that for 24 hours, of course, you don't take it while you're sleeping. But the first thing in the morning, you drink the hot tea again. You will avoid most every cold. Now, does that, I know that ginger is specific for colds, but for just every day, you, you do mention to drink hot tea to stimulate the lymphatic system. Are there any type of specific teas, or it's just the fact that it's warm tea? Yes, it's the fact that it's warm tea. That's what helps the lymphatic system. You could just, if you say you hate ginger, which I imagine people, some people. Yeah, there's probably some people that do. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Then you could just use uh lemon in tea or um, maybe chamomile but I always like to put an herb in it because then you're getting double you know the the help which your body can use when you're starting to get sick absolutely yeah peppermint you can put in it I mean really there's so much you could go out in the yard here's another thing a lot of people don't make use of anybody who has a backyard clover that grows makes a lovely tea you pick the the flowers off pour boiling water over it's a lovely tea oh i think i have clover in my yard i'll have to try that yeah use i just discovered that i have wild strawberries i had no idea <laughs> aren't they awesome <laughs> yeah they it, they were actually buried under the clover i had no idea that they were out there um you recommend yoga and say that there are a lot of benefits to yoga what is or are some benefits that you can tell us that yoga provides us? And what about hot yoga? It has become quite popular here where I'm at. So I'm just curious what that does for our bodies and our systems. Yeah, well, first, yoga keeps the spine nimble. And that's what keeps you young. When your spine starts to stiffen, you get it, it wears more in one area than the other, and you get the bulging discs and the pain, and anybody who's had that can attest to how awful it is. But keeping your spine nimble prevents, all, it's such a preventative, not only your spine, but it helps your inner organs when you're inverting yourself. 
And um, consequently, if you really can't invert yourself and you have back problems, I do recommend an inversion table. And that, and that helps take the, elongate the spine and take pressure off of it. But now, and the hot yoga, what that does, it, you, you sweat more. It's, it's in a hot room and you sweat more. And anytime you sweat more, you are losing more toxins. You're sweating out the toxins. Good, I'm sweating out the fluoride. Yes. <laughs> now here's another thing. Of course, in your case, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it's a I, I on my website. There's a recipe. It's very inexpensive for detox bath salts, and by soaking in the water, it causes you to sweat, and the salts in it pull pull the toxins out, and so you're losing a lot of toxins through a, a, a detox bath. So that's another way, even if you're in a lot of pain or something and can't do all the yoga things or, you know, you have to start waiting. I till don't know. I mean, I've got gals in my class and, and my I do the hot yoga and I'll tell you what, uh, the gal that owns the place, it's the hottest studio I've ever been into. <laughs> it's 110 degrees and it's about 60% humidity and we sweat our asses off yeah and they always say oh well it's you know they're like nazis in there it's great for you and it's good and you're releasing toxins and they're building out orders like we're you know in a concentration camp and we're taking the <laughs> abuse and i'm thinking this is a gimmick we're not getting anything from this <laughs> yeah, no you are <laughs> other than sweating our butts off and we're miserable and we're complaining and then afterwards we're like man we feel great yeah yeah and, and that's what sweating will do. If you if you can't do it by, uh, maybe you have bad knees, so you can't run and get your joints going like that. But see, then you can do the hot yoga. If, if for it some, it does reason, make a difference because yeah. I I've done the yoga without the heat, and I can't get into a lot of the positions, and I would feel quite stiff. And it's made a tremendous difference in my back. I used to get lower back pain quite a bit from sitting at my desk all day. And I don't have that anymore. I'm a lot more flexible. Um, there's, there's definitely, I feel like there's a lot of benefits to doing the yoga. And I only do it three days a week. And it's made a significant difference. Yes. And also, um, it, it, it's worth saying that most yoga studios have many different levels. So that they're, even if you're in a wheelchair, you can still do yoga. Yeah. So even if you have severe back pain and you have a, a, a yoga teacher who will work with you, you could do this, the smallest twist until you can do bigger twists. And, and the more you twist, the more, as you know, you can, the more you do it, the more you can. Yeah, my, my yoga instructor always says, that's okay, we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> that's always a response. But I've got a gal in my class. She's been doing it for about 16 months and she had severe scoliosis and she took pictures the day that she started yoga and her spine is almost straight now. She did have surgery, but the um, her spine alignment is almost straight now and it's all from doing yoga. Her doctor actually recommended it. Yes. Yes. My husband has was born with scoliosis too. And as he's gotten older, it's gotten straighter. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, Lori, I would really just, I can't tell you how much I've appreciated talking with you today, and I've really enjoyed our conversation and learning about all that you do. If people are interested in working with you or would like more information on your tinctures or salves, how do they get in contact with you? Oh, sure. 
Well, the name of my business is called The Healing Path, and I have a website, and it is www.myhealingpath.com. And there's a lot of information with my newsletters on the website. Which I highly recommend. Thank you. <laughs> and there are many tinctures that I have created. They are all my own originally formulated tinctures. And they're for a lot of conditions like arthritis, hepatitis, uh, high cholesterol, migraines, depression, and and the endocrine strengthener that's just for you know the immune system basically and i also make uh cruelty free hormone replacement therapy for both men and women and they can all be ordered on my website all my information my contact information is there and i'm very open to people emailing me with questions i'm glad to help them because i believe that Half of my business is educating my clients. So there's no question that's too big or too little to answer, and there's no question that's ridiculous because you don't know if you don't ask. That's right, and we uh, increase that consumer demand. Yes, <laughs> and that's our goal. <laughs> that's our goal. Well, Lori, thanks again. I really appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Okay, thank you, Amanda. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, what a great interview. As I embrace a holistic way of living, choosing natural remedies and natural alternatives over synthetics, I have found that my mind and body function with great clarity and fluidity. I think it is time that we all take pause and think about what it is we are putting into our bodies and how it really affects us. If treated right, our bodies will function like well-oiled machines and the improvements will be seen all around. Sure. Modern day medicine has its place, but that doesn't mean we should overlook the value of natural simplicity. Is it necessary for us to make it so complicated when our ancestors did it right the first time? I want to thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Amanda, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. A few changes that I have made to the show is the new spelling of Zen Chakra. Remember to put that extra K in Chakra. If you would like more information on this show or have a question or comment, please email me at zenchakra at gmail.com. You can also visit the blog at zenchakra.blogspot.com and be sure to spell Chakra with two Ks. Bye for now.